1: If you give your
0: heart and believe what He's done for you
1: Of tabernacles had just concluded for the Israelites in Nehemiah on the 22nd day of the month. So now here we are, Nehemiah 9, verse 1. So now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins. And the iniquities of their fathers. Well, this sackcloth thing, they were wearing sackcloth. It was made out of goat's hair. It's very scratchy. It's very uncomfortable to wear. It's kind of like wearing a potato sack. Now, I was over at the coffee shop, not the one here, another one, and I noticed they had sacks for carrying coffee beans. I picked one up. And this is about as close as I can get to sackcloth. It, uh, it's very uncomfortable. And I cut a head hole in it and arm holes in it, and I was actually going to put it on. But I don't think I want to go through all that in front of y'all right now. Uh, If any of you wants to try to wear it later, you can. But I I was wearing it the other day. I walked in here, and everybody looked at me like, Ray, what in the world are you doing? It's not stylish at all. Not stylish. It, it, It really agitated my neck more than anything. Uh, I found out from somebody that in some schools a long time ago, they used to make bad kids wear these things if they were bad, more than just sit in the corner. It's very uncomfortable. It would irritate you. So they wore sackcloth, something much worse than this. And the reason they wore it, it was to express outwardly how much sin hurts, how uncomfortable it is. It was an outward showing of how abrasive, sin is. And guys, sin certainly does not feel good, does it? So they would wear this as an expression. This is how I feel inside. I feel the abrasion and the discomfort and the the tearing and the scratching. And they also put dirt on their head because they were also expressing how filthy their inner feeling was, how how the sin made them filthy. It made them dirty. How terrible. Sin is filthy and dirty, scratchy, abrasive, uncomfortable, it tears it it, it rips and it destroys and it 's not fashionable it doesn 't feel good who would who would really want to wear this thing so they did this 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 outward expression with the clothing that had on to express how they felt about what was going on internally, and guys to think that after all the terrible sins that Israel had committed to think that god still loved them enough to bring them back. That's what hits me. He had just brought them back out of captivity, and they're wearing all this, this uncomfortable stuff, dirt. God still looked at them and says, guess what? I know you messed up. I know you messed up bad. I know you caused terrible things to happen. You didn't listen to me. I told you not to do these things, but you did it anyway. But guess what? I still love you. And he brought them back. So now that they're back, now is the time to confess. It says they confessed their sins. When you stand up and confess your sins, it means you stand up and you speak aloud what you have done. They did this. I mean, can you get the picture of how serious? They were so serious about getting right with God. They said, if it takes me standing up in front of everybody I know and shouting out the terrible things I've done, I'll do it. And they did this while, this confession, they did this while they fasted from food. They were fasting, it says. The purpose of fasting is to take your eyes off the things that would distract you to get your focus completely off the world so that you can focus totally on God. Fasting demonstrates how serious you are about your relationship with God. So I want us to take notice of verse 2 that we read how it says they confess their own sins in addition to they confess the sins of their fathers also. Okay, guys, now if I was to confess the sins of my forefathers, like my grandpa, my dad, my grandpa, and great-grandpa, first off, most people today would say, well, I wasn't even there when they committed it. Why should I confess it? But it says they did this of their ancestors. This means they confessed even the national sins of their country, they confessed to God. They knew that their forefathers' sins was something that they had adopted themselves. So here, they were obviously rejecting a lot of the old traditions that had been passed down. You ever been handed a tradition? Our family's always done it. Well, this is the way we've always done things. We we always do it like this. Well, what if you found out all of a sudden that your tradition that you've always done, your family put it into you, what if you suddenly found out one day it was sinful and you had to stop? It's not a dishonor to mom and dad. It's a dishonor to God to keep doing it. So they had to discontinue. So after 70 years of being held captive by their enemy, they had been brought down to nothing. They were chewed down to the nub. Friends, sin doesn't mess with you just a little bit. Some people think, you know, oh, well, you know, one more, one more time, it won't hurt. Sin doesn't mess with you just a little bit. Sin will take everything away from you. It will take it all away and it will not stop until you are completely cut down to nothing. Sin won't stop until you're dead. That's what sin does. Sin will kill you. We need to understand that about sin. Don't act like, well, that's no big deal. That no big deal is exactly what's going to get in there and get you. Guys, it doesn't take a very big spark at all to burn the whole house down, does it? So they were in anguish over their sin because after being held captive for 70 years, they were brought down to next to nothing. It says here the Israelites separated themselves from the foreigners. The reason why they separated themselves from the foreigners is because the Lord had chosen them, the Israelites, to be his own special people. They were to be kept different. They were to be kept set apart from the rest of the nations. There is one single word that means set apart, means kept special. It's the word holy. Israel was to be holy. They were to be set apart. Now, for centuries before this time, Israel wanted to be like everybody else. Hey, look at that country. We like what they're doing. Let's go be like them. God says, no, I don't want you to be like them. You're supposed to be the way I want you to be, special to me. They didn't listen. They wanted to be like everybody else, and that's where they fell into sin because they turned against their God of Israel to pick up and adopt false gods of foreign nations. So they had to confess, set apart. Foreigners, I want you to go over there. We're going to come over here. I want you all to catch the picture. They had to confess in holiness. Confess in holiness. It's very particular. It's the whole main point I'm trying to get at in this this passage here is that confession must be done in holiness. If you're going to confess your sins, you better be confessing it separate from it, from your sin. Get out of it and then confess it. Don't confess it while you're still in it. They could not confess their sins while still standing in the middle of what messed them up in the first place. Now, there's fake confessions. People say, oh, Lord, this and that, and it's just mouth service. But if you're going to confess your sins for real, if you want to get right with the Lord God for real, you have to get away from the environment from where you committed those sins. Whatever circumstance, whatever atmosphere and environment pushed you to commit sin, you got to get out of there before you confess. Makes no sense to confess while you're in it. That's why they separated themselves from the foreigners while fasting, while wearing sackcloth, and with dirt on their heads to show, Lord God, we are so sorry for what we did. Nehemiah 9 and 3 says, and they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another-fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Okay, how would you like to have a sermon in here today that lasts a fourth of the day? That means I would have you for three to four hours. Something I want you to know about the book of Ezra. It runs parallel to Nehemiah because they were both written at the same time. Nehemiah and Ezra, they were both in Jerusalem at the same time. And if you remember, some of you have been with me through Ezra. If you recall back to Ezra chapter 9, it says that the Israelites had intermarried with non Israelite people who practiced ungodly and detestable beliefs. They were intermarried with people they should not have been married to. And that's what led them away from God. In unfaithfulness. So then in Ezra chapter 10, they were so concerned about it. It says, while Ezra was praying, a bunch of Israelites came to him. They were repentant of intermarrying with foreigners, and they came and proposed a solution to the sin problem. They said, We've been unfaithful to our God because we intermarried with foreign women. So they suggested a solution to this, and it was very, very extreme. Now, this gets into some tough territory. Need you to hang with me, okay? Don't drift off. They suggested we need to set a particular day where we're going to separate themselves, we're going to get out of these terrible marriages that they were in that God told them not to get into in the first place. And Ezra gathered everybody together, and it says in Ezra 10, verse 10: It says, Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore. Make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. I told you this was going to get sticky. Here in Nehemiah 9 now, everybody was in repentance and it was such an extreme level of serious repentance. They were so serious about it. It says they separated themselves from foreigners. Now, I'm pretty sure it could very well be that a lot of the separation we're looking at in Nehemiah 9 was when the Israelites separated themselves from the marriages in Ezra. There were foreign marriages going on. And when, when, when we read it in Nehemiah, just as you see it in Nehemiah, it's just you stand over there. I'll stand over here. You need to, we, we got to get away from you. There were married people involved in this. The marriages is what got them in trouble in the first place. The original way that Israel got into such terrible sin in the first place is because they intermarried with foreigners, something that God said, don't do that. In that marriage that they had, they were in violation. I want to show you Exodus 23, 32. He says, you shall make no covenant with them. That would be a marriage covenant. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me, for if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. They intermarried. They did what God said, don't do, and it became a trap. Now, this was a big warning to Israel. Don't marry them. Big warning. Not to intermarry with foreign nations. So why did they suddenly one day decide to do it? What happened in Israel's history where they decided, hey, It's okay to do it all of a sudden. I want to show you where they got their prime example from. They got it from King Solomon. He's the one that led them into doing this. Look at how serious this is. Check this out. 1 Kings 11.1 says, but King Solomon loved many what? Israelite women? Doesn't say that. It says he loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites. Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. It covers them all, doesn't it? Verse 2, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will. Turn away your hearts after other gods. Solomon clung to these in love. God says, don't do it. Solomon clung to it. How many times has God told us not to do something and we grabbed it and held on? I want it. I love it. I love my sin. I enjoy my sin. He loved them. You ever hear people say, oh, but if it's love, it has to be good. Love is so wonderful. Not if it violates the Lord God, not if it's sinful. So that's where Israel got their example from. King Solomon, now, when you read about him, he started out really, really good. But towards the end of his reign, he really, really failed as a leader because he intermarried with foreign women. And that's what caused the Israelites to go, oh, well, if King Solomon did it, we can do it. Christian, that's why you're so accountable to what you do in your life. Because if people look at you representing Christ, well, that's a Christian. Well, if he's doing it, I can do it too. If she's doing it, I can do it too. You can't do whatever you want to you got to be honorable to the Lord God. People are watching you. You're their leader. Hey, King Solomon did it. Let's do it, too. And they married uh, foreigners they weren't supposed to. And just like God warned, that caused them to turn away from the God of Israel because they ended up taking up their foreign spouse's false gods. So then God had them dragged away. God did this. He had them dragged away by their enemy and held for 70 years. Seventy years. I haven't even lived that long. That's how long they were held captive somewhere else because of these foreign marriages that they got into. But then God brought the Israelites back. They had been humbled down, and boy, were they sorry. Sorry, wearing the sackcloth and dirt on their heads and fasting and, and confessing out loud what they've done. So yeah, you better believe they were adamant about separating themselves from the foreigners who were among them. And in particular here, a lot of these foreigners that they were separated from, it was their spouses, people that God commanded them. Not only did he warn them, but he commanded them, don't marry them. You'll turn away. And they did anyway. So the book of Ezra runs parallel to Nehemiah because they both happened at the same time. And Ezra says that once the Israelites realized their marriages with foreigners was a violation against God, it was the cause of their downfall, it says they spent three days discussing the matter with their spouses before they broke everything up. They spent three days talking about it. Now, what do you think they talked about for three days? I'm sure there were some heated discussions between husbands and wives. I'm sure some of the arguments sounded kind of like this. "Hey." We're going to live in Israel now, and we're going to do things God's way, the way God says. I'm sure there was a lot of pushback. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not an Israelite like you are. I'm not worshiping your God. Can you hear what probably went on for three days? There were people that said, I'm going to, and people said, forget it. I'm not. If you read only Nehemiah, What Nehemiah says, it kind of makes it look like all the foreigners were just thrown away, like they had no say in the matter. But that's why I gave you more context from the book of Ezra, because it tells us a little more that the people were given a lot of time to discuss this problem before this big separation day. They had time to talk it out. I'm giving you further context than just what Nehemiah says, because I want you to understand all the dynamics that's going on in this story. They all... Israelite or foreigner, they all had their chance to make their own decision to either say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. I'm either going to serve God or I refuse to serve God. So this big separation was obviously based on foreigners saying, forget this, I'm not going to worship your God. The foreigners that were put off to the side, I am not going to follow the God of Israel. And so the Israelites said, Okay, then we will separate ourselves from you. We are following this God. And guys, I find myself in the same decision that I have to show myself in front of people all the time. Being holy, being set apart. I have to tell the world every stinking day, I am not going to do what you do. I'm following the God of Israel. And I invite them, would you like to follow me? And oftentimes people say, nope, I am not going to go that way then you got to get away from me because I cannot walk with you. It's, it's Christian 101, guys. This is how you live. You cannot hang around with people that reject your God. They will mess you up. You've got to have a holiness about you, a separation. And so the Israelites said, well, if you're not coming, get over there. We're going to stand before the Lord our God. We are going to confess. We're going to get right with him today. This is serious stuff, guys. I hope we can learn off of this, because this is something we can all do, too. 1 Corinthians 7.15, because I know some of y'all are concerned about this marital thing. 1 Corinthians 7.15 says, If the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. God has called us to peace. Now, sometimes uh, people get married when they're both unbelievers, and then one of them gets saved and the other one's not. And sometimes that difference of following God or not following God gets so pressured, the unbeliever blows out and says, I'm, I'm out of here. It says you let them go. And I see this happening here. When they separated themselves, it's not like they kicked them out, get out of here. There was a lot of rejection. No, we're not going to follow your God of Israel. So the Israelite says, then, then you got to leave. And they let them go. We read that King Solomon clung. He clung. That means he grabbed on and held them. He designed his kingdom to facilitate ways for them to stay. He clung to these foreign women, but the Israelites separated themselves apart to prevent more trouble and more suffering than what had already had happened. I know you see yourself in this story right here. You've got friends that cling to what God says don't do. And then they want you to be in it with them. You've got to step away. And sometimes that breaks up friendships. So it's possible that there may have been some foreign spouses that agreed to repent. Maybe they saw the goodness of the God of Israel. Perhaps they were still allowed to live in the land to some capacity. I don't know. I will state the intermarriages were over with. I think that any foreigners that repented... I don't know what kind of role they were given at that point, but the biblical reason why I believe that foreigners were given an option to stay around, not in marriages, but maybe to stay, is because of an example that we're given in the book of Ruth. Let me tell you about Ruth. Ruth was not an Israelite. She was not an Israelite at all. She was a foreigner. She was a Moabite woman. And Ruth followed an Israelite woman named Naomi. And Naomi had once told Ruth and her sister-in-law, Orpah, don't come with me to Israel. Why don't y'all just go back home to your foreign land and serve your foreign gods? Because I'm going to Israel. You're probably not going to like it there. Why don't you just go back home? So Ruth's sister-in-law, Orpah, went back home. But it says in Ruth 1.15, and she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. This is a foreign woman that accepted the God of Israel and says, I have to turn away from my old life. I want your God. I know that Ruth's situation here is not exactly the same scenario as Nehemiah 9, because Nehemiah 9 is dealing with illegal, command-breaking marriages. But the point I'm trying to make from Ruth is that I believe if any foreign person had truly made the same declaration that Ruth had made, saying the Israelite people are now going to be my people, your God will be my God, I accept the God of Israel, then I believe these foreigners would have been given some sort of way to live among Israelites just that the intermarriages were over with. They would not be allowed to stay intermarried. That was the deal breaker. But I do believe they could have had or would have been allowed to stay in some capacity if only they had chosen to follow the Lord God of Israel. So they separated. Let them depart. If the unbeliever goes, let him go. Friends, this is a messed up story. I'll admit it. But it shows you how messed up sin is. God is seriously angry against our sin. And so we should take our sin very, very seriously. I just want to make sure that no one sees Nehemiah 9 with a shallow depth, but rather instead sees that this was not an abandonment of people who just got kicked out of town against their will.